The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let the festivities begin with a real 5 to 7 foot Nordman Christmas tree for only £15. Home base. Feels good to be home. While stocks last. New York's LGBTQ film festival, NewFest, is coming up from October 23rd to 29th. The festival features over 160 films from more than 30 countries and promises to be a week of queer cinematic excellence. Busy Bee and Black listeners get discounted tickets on all screenings. Head to newfest.org forward slash festival and use the code NFCP19. Congratulations to our brother Marcellus Reynolds, who has just released his new book, Supreme Models, Iconic Black Women Who Revolutionized Fashion. It's the first ever book celebrating black top models and is filled with revealing essays, interviews, and stunning photographs. You'll find a link to pre-order his amazing new book in the show notes. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. These are conversations at our intersections and an opportunity for us to hear firsthand from others in our community how they have learned and are learning to thrive. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so lets others like us hear the voices amplified here. Few people have touched my soul as tenderly as Jeffrey Williams. From late-night cross-continental FaceTimes to voice notes full of support and encouragement, the friendship Jeffrey and I have cultivated over the years is a testament to the very real connections that can form across cyberspace. Jeffrey Williams is a designer, stylist, and creative director, and Jeffrey's visions of beauty are made manifest most regularly on the bodies of musical duo Lion Babe. We begin our conversation with Jeffrey's memories of childhood and late mother a person Jeffrey describes as a beautiful, kind woman who helped Jeffrey understand how to listen and to love. We discuss Jeffrey's life-changing years in Italy, embracing our fears, the mantras Jeffrey uses to survive, and of course, spirituality, creativity, and finding beauty within ourselves and in the world. Jeffrey is a spiritual and beautiful wonder in a world in desperate need of more people like Jeffrey. This conversation was recorded in New York City during World Pride 2019. Thank you again to the team at ACAST NYC for all your help. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm Busy Being Black with Jeffrey Williams. I can't tell you how much joy it brings me to have you here in the space with me and to finally be connecting in real life because we connected on Instagram, I think, a number of years ago. A hundred years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and since then, you know, it's it's kind of turned into this wonderful, robust, and beautiful 
internet friendship, but internet friendship sounds like it's not giving it its dues. No, because you're, you're going to make me cry right now anyway. So, <laughs> anyway. And so it's like the, the late night FaceTimes and the wonderful messages of support and just to have you, this beautiful soul rooting for me from across the pond has, has really been so beautif- beautiful to have. So it's, it's an honor to have, this, have you in this space finally. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I actually feel very honored to be a part of it. It's so funny, too, because when you started this, it feels so... Because sometimes you feel so distanced because just time-wise, like, you know, you're in London, I'm in New York or whatever. But um, it's crazy how this busy being black is just kind of bleeding everywhere, which is really lovely. So it's nice to be able to listen to it and also to be a part of it, too. And I love that you tell your friends all the time that you're busy being black. Oh, always, always. <laughs> if anyone asks me if I'm busy, I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm busy, busy. Busy doing what? Busy being black. <laughs> so that's always my little slogan. <laughs> I appreciate that. Of course. So in thinking about this conversation um, and all the very many ways it could go, um, I was looking on your website and you describe, in describing your work, you say that your brand is curated by your experiences in international pilgrimage. And I thought, that's very Jeffrey. Yes. <laughs> um, but pilgrimage is, is sacred, right? It's holy, it's a journey, and it's a lifelong pursuit of something bigger. Absolutely. I, I might be projecting onto that, but... Um, and so I thought we could think of this conversation as a pilgrimage together. And I would like to start kind of with a young Jeffrey. I'm very curious about what kind of child you were. A young Jeffrey. I was a really cute little boy. <laughs> Super cute. Um, when I think about myself as a little boy, um, I just remember having so much fun and being filled with so much love around me you know, in so many different ways. Um, so I'm originally from Seattle, Washington. And it's so funny because when people are like, oh, you're from Seattle, Washington, there's no black people there. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm black. But um, <laughs> but it is true. You know, there is a lot of white people there and a lot of Asian people there, like if you kind of just first look at things. But when I was growing up, I went to an all-Catholic school. And I literally grew up being, uh, like in the Catholic school, there was only one white person in my class the whole entire time. So, like, I was a little boy who, you know, I would say this thing to myself. I'd be like, oh, if I die, I want to come back and be a black boy. Because I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> like, I really did. Um, and I really think it was because of my surroundings, because I saw people of color, and they were always beautiful and electric and... Um, so it was just something that I really wanted to be. I think I really just liked being myself, too. You know <laughs> what I mean? It was just strange. But I was always that kid. I liked being myself. I always wanted to be 30 when I was a kid. 30? Yeah, I don't know why. But when I was a little boy, I never wanted to be... Um, I don't know. It was just so weird. Like, the kids' conversations, everything, just was, they were not my conversations. So funny. I loved sitting next to my mom and, like scooching up next to her and hearing her have all these grown-up conversations with, like, all my older brothers and sisters, our um, family members going through a hard time, and just hearing, like, all these different stories. And, and, I, and what did you learn from, you know, scooching up next to your mother and, like, listening to these conversations? Just to really how, like, how to listen to people and also to how to love people. 
because she was always someone who, I'm going to start crying. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but she's just someone who always just loved you in a very unconditional way. You never felt judged or you didn't have to change or put on a mask or um, no matter what you were going through, you were supported. And that's what I really learned as a little boy because she literally would take in, I grew up in a big family. So there's, uh, I grew up with 12 siblings, there's 12 of us. Wow. And my mother gave birth to five girls, five boys and adopted my two older brothers. And we all lived in the same house. We went to the same Catholic schools. We you know, did all the same stuff. Um, but we also had different, you know, family members who would have to come and stay with us because maybe they were doing way too much, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was drugs or some type of unhealthy living. And my mother would be the one who would take them in and, you know, help them get back on their feet and give them a space to basically fall and then be able to get back up again. So with that type of, you know, scooching up to her and listening to different situations, no matter what they were, she was always just so supportive, and I really loved that. She was always a very gentle, graceful woman, and it's something that I feel that um, not many people have all the time. Mm. Um, not saying that's what you should only have, but I think it's really important to have grace and to be able to listen um, and not just always just respond, you know. Mm. And so she had a really, really big heart. Very huge heart. And so you take after her in that respect. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I imagine, so you said that, you know, as a young, as a young child, as a young Jeffrey, you were always very happy being yourself. And I imagine yourself was kind of always outside of the lines, right? Definitely. (laughs) Definitely. It's so funny, too, because I remember when I was a kid, too, everyone used to always say, like all the older people, they would always be like, he's such a character. <laughs> and I literally thought that, I thought I was a Looney Tunes character. But for a while, I was like, oh, I think they're thinking that like I'm a Looney Tunes or something like that. <laughs> and then later, as I got older, I understood that I just had some type of, I don't know, I was just Way a character. Yeah. yeah. That was kind of like, this guy is interesting or something like that. So, And you felt supported by you, you know, all, your, all of your siblings and your family yeah. in that expression of, of who you were at your youngest. Totally. Because basically, so the lovely thing about my mom was is that when we were kids, you know, she was really, I wouldn't say she, well, she technically spoiled us, but in a healthy way, though. So she would always say that the reason why she would give us so much is because her father would spoil her and give her so many things. And that it was a good thing to do that with your kids. And so when we were kids, if we wanted to have, you know, like when it was gift time, whether it was Christmas or your birthday, you really kind of got what you wanted. So um, if I wanted Barbies, I got Barbies. If I wanted um, a baby doll, I got a baby doll. If I wanted a dinosaur, I got a dinosaur. If I wanted Legos, which I never got because I never wanted them, (laughs) I would have had them. But um So it was kind of like that kind of energy throughout the house where, you know, me and my younger brother were able to literally play Barbies. You know what I mean? And and that's actually where I learned how to kind of, you know, take off their clothes and, you know, take them apart and sew different things together or, you know, make little. I mean, I didn't know they were bondage outfits at the time, but I was like (laughs) taking tape and, you know, stretching it over the boobs and over the crotch and, you know, making these little form fitting outfits. Um, but it was something that was supported. And it was so funny, too, because 
I do remember as a little boy, one of my older brothers, I will not say his name, Cahill. <laughs> He's so lovely. But I do remember as a little boy, there was one time where he was like, oh, mom, like, why are you letting, why are you, letting uh, you know, Jeffrey and Jamil play with these Barbies? You know what I mean? Like, they're not going to be men if you, like, let them play with these Barbies. And she was like, listen, I let you guys play with Barbies and babies when you guys were little boys, too. And also, too, I think it's something that is good for little boys to play with Barbies and have baby dolls. She's like, they'll know how to treat women. They'll know how to, you know, play with it, like have a child and treat a child or whatever. She always thought it was important to have that type of energy around. Mm. And then once that was said, it was nipped in the butt. And everyone kind of just followed suit with that. So it was never a situation where it was a weird thing, you know. Mm. So it was very supportive. So we'll fast forward, you know, take you from your childhood. Um, I'm interested in this journey or this pilgrimage you made to Politecnico di Milano. Yes. To study fashion design? Yes. Yeah. International fashion design. Oh, darling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I went to school long enough to say it. <laughs> so what... <laughs> I'm sipping my tea. So what was the, what was the impetus? You know, you were you were in Seattle, and then you knew that you wanted to pursue um, a design degree. And so basically, when I was a kid, I, my dream was to be an actor. So that was my main focus. So when I was a kid, I did lots of acting classes. I would do different courses. I would be in all these different plays and musicals and stuff like that. And my mother would put me in different dancing classes, ballet, modern, jazz tap, all of that stuff. Um, and I really fell in love with it. And so when I was doing uh, these plays at the Paramount Theater with Lynx and Hughes Cultural Arts Center, um, basically, I was just obsessed with the concept of how you're able to be something other than yourself. You have to get out of yourself. And it was almost like a type of therapy. Like you can't really focus on yourself. You had to pull energy and different types of just being from other places and then be this character. And then the other part of it that fascinated me was that when you put on the clothes and you have the hair and the makeup, you really feel that like that character like is fully you embodied like with all those things happening, like once you're curated. So I really got obsessed with curating um, like myself and other things. And I, during that time too, I was always um, sewing things and all that jazz and my mother would you know notice that and the next thing you know for christmas i have a sewing machine oh. or like some thread and some fabric or patterns or something um and so when i was going through high school and i was you know i started interning with a costume design deborah soren she was absolutely amazing and then she also hired me too while i was in high school as well to be her costume designer assistant and I fell in love with make, like making clothes and being part of that and creating the stories together and being in the meetings with the director and figuring out how to like realize things. Um, and then it was time to go to school. And my mother was like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I think I want to do... I, she knew I wanted to move to London or either to New York. That was like since a little boy. Like I'm telling you, I always thought I was like, wanted to be 30, I was 30. So I always knew I wanted to move to New York or to London at a very early, early age. And she was like, you should just go to design school in New York or London or whatever. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm already doing that. You know, yeah, of course. But I knew I did want to go to some type of design school or something. And 
So um, we looked into schools, and I uh, looked into Parsons, and I looked into FIT. I got into FIT, and I, I literally went there purposely because I knew it had a study abroad program in Italy. And I, when I was a kid, I hated school. I absolutely hated it. I never, I never felt engaged with it. It was very boring to me. Um, and so I remember when I was a kid, too, my mother would always say, she's like, I know you don't really like school. She's like, realistically, you really only need to know a few things. You know, you need to know your math. You need to know a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And everything else is like whatever. But she was telling me, she was just like, you know, keep doing a good job in school because basically when you go to college, that's when you're going to have the most fun. She used to say that's where you meet your best friends. That's when you get to travel. That's when you get to do all these like, you know, you get to go to classes that you want to go to. And so when I chose FIT, I knew that I, it was going to have a study abroad program. And they had a study abroad program in Milan, Italy. And so that was my goal. It was like, I'll go to FIT, I'll move to New York and be able to be there. And then I'll move to Italy and go to school there. So then I traveled there and did about two and a half years of college there um, after two years in New York. And um, it really changed my life. In what like, ways? You know, I feel like when you travel, you you absolutely expand in so many different ways. You know, like, for me, it was really, you know, my whole entire... First of all, moving from Seattle, which is definitely a city city, but moving to New York, where it's just, you know, there's so much energy, there's so much creativity, um, and just so much vibrantness all the time. And then to move to Italy, where it's completely different. You know, things are a bit slower, um... There's a little bit more attention to detail and quality of life, and uh, things actually shut down. You know, when I was in New York, I could be up for two days finishing a project for FIT. Um, but when I was in Milan, Italy, like school would close down at five, all the shops would clo close at six. And so people literally would go home and make dinner. Like they would actually sit down, and make dinner, or have people come over, or go to aperitivo, or go have a cock, whatever, um, a cock or a cocktail. <laughs> um, <laughs> so basically, uh, I really love, I just loved that. And it was just really beautiful. And Milan is very, it's not like the first place I would tell people to go to if you're, you know, going to go visit Italy or whatever. But there is a certain hidden, hidden beauty that Milan really does have. Like just gorgeous streets that you can go down or special little spaces that you can have dinner or lunch or, you know, or just going to lay by the castle and just get a tan. Try to get as dark as you can get, <laughs> which I love. Um, so, yeah, it was just really mind-opening. And that's really that's actually where I really fell into the love and the concept of really focusing on my own clothing line, being a unisex clothing designer at the time. And um, that's kind of like where I really got that idea of really making things that cater towards um, everyone and not just a select person. Because when I was a kid and growing up as well, too, I was always someone who, um, who always had some type of balance of masculinity and femininity. femininity. Uh, say it right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think someone else is in here. And... <laughs> There's lots of spirits we're calling in here. Um, and so I always had that balance of it, even the way I dressed. Like, I used to be able to borrow my mother's clothing and 
um, wear her stuff or wear a sister's or brother's stuff or whatever. And I would go shopping. And whenever I would go into like these different thrift shops or different clothing stores, I was always in both sections, you know, grabbing, you know, women's jeans and, you know, men's tops or whatever. And so that was when I was in Italy, that's where I really focused on the concept of really um, using my creativity for everyone and not really kind of zoning in on only one sex. But what is unisex, right? Because I think we're seeing a lot of this right now, this yeah. this kind of um, brands kind of taking on this gender fluidity and, and actually just ends up being kind of like boxy, baggy mm-hmm. clothes in the same colors and and moves away, for at least from what I've seen, from the kind of structure and the, or the symmetry or the, or, the, or the craftsmanship of what couture could be. Yeah. Or the craftsmanship of couture that you could apply to unisex to really create something different. And I think perhaps this is linked to the binary in some sense. Mm-hmm. Right? I wrote this down earlier. I wanted to talk to you about this. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought it up. That like um, when we talk about the binary that the suggestion is that there is man, woman, male, female, right? Mm-hmm. And that when we talk about getting beyond the binary, we're just kind of like adding other things. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Instead of blending everything together to make it one. Yeah. And so I'm curious about how unisex for you manifests. When I was doing my unisex clothing line, it was at a time where it was not cool. It was there was not even the People didn't even really understand the proper like word. Mm-hmm. They didn't know where to hang it. They didn't know where to um, put it. And you know, if you know, when I think about it, I, I feel like someone who's always been a little bit ahead of my time, always in a sense. And that's not a, in an egotistic kind of way. It's just a real thing, you know. Um, I'm always constantly feeling things and. Um, when I look at my deepest self, I'm always in the right direction. And at that time, too, I was in the right direction, but <laughs> there was no one there to, like, try to catch up. There was, like, no one there to support it. Um, but it's so funny because now even – because the way that I look at design now is not exactly how I look at it before. So even using the word unisex, it's something that I wouldn't even use in my term of – uh, the way that I even design now. Um, so it's just, it's kind of tricky, but I mean, I feel like I, I I love the fact that there are so many designers who are trying to cater or cater into um, every gender. I think it's a great thing. Um, I do feel like sometimes, like how you were saying with like everything's boxy, blah, 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 um, sometimes the design aspect can be a little bit muddled um, trying to cater to everything. And this is why I think that when when that's done, you have to still kind of know exactly what you're doing. Because even, even the way that I design too, a lot of times I like things to be very monastic and very um, like regal or very, you know, graceful. And so that's a thread in a lot of the things that I design. So um, yeah, it's just different, I guess. And so unisex, or sorry, designing, doing genderless designs, yeah, or designing for everyone. I I don't know how you'd say it. How would you say it now, in as you would describe your work? I'm literally someone who really doesn't like to use so many labels for my for myself. Fine. Um, I don't really like to try to define myself all the time because 
I just feel like I'm always constantly evolving and growing and still very much learning. So um, I really don't know everything or know exactly like, I don't know, I just feel like it's constantly changing. So um, I like to hear and receive and understand. But um, yeah, for me, I really wouldn't put a label on it, honestly. Like, So we'll leave it. We'll yeah. leave it nebulous. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either you like it or you don't like it, you know? <laughs> either you want to support it or you don't. Yeah, you know? either you want to wear it or you don't. Exactly. I, I, I guess I'm curious about it because, there, you know, one of the reasons I was so attracted to your energy and, and to cultivating this, this friendship across, you know, the digital space, but across also the physical distance mm-hmm. um, that was between us, um, was because the visual representation, you know, the, the visual you that you put forward um, via your Instagram is so, it's it's beyond defining, right? Like you, it, but it, yet it makes so much sense, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't require any questions. It doesn't require any answers to the, to any questions. There's nothing to explain about it. It's just Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think there's such a freedom in that in that you have somehow leaned into who you are and the expression of that happens to be this kind of very beautiful, delightful, entertaining, energetic, (laughs) refreshing, you know, ethereal beauty that we see before us. Thank you. And so I guess like, I guess me trying to figure out like, well, what is it? (laughs) I mean, I will say that even when I do post things and put things up, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very thoughtful of what I'm putting out, but um, there's no real agenda besides um, just trying to unify, you know, each other and just trying to, I always like to be the difference. So like when it's tough, I like to be the extra light. I like to be... Um, the extra grace and space in the situation. But how do you handle hate? Because presumably someone who moves through the world as you do, free from the constraints of the binary and gender and, and all this, all these labels that people try, will indubitably try to put on you like I just yeah. tried to. Like, no, you're fine. <laughs> it's like, define yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Someone's in here. <laughs> you know, so uh, but how so people inevitably react to you in a way that you're you're probably familiar with and used to at this stage. And I guess for for those who are listening who are also moving through a world in a way beyond definition. I mean, how how do you deal with what you bump into? Um or rather what so, bumps into you? I mean, I I I get just, you know, just as much, you know, hate or um, confusion or, you know, those terrible people might say stuff or do things or whatever. But it's just, I remember as a kid, you know, going to school and, you know, because my voice has not dropped. (laughs) I mean, not properly. (laughs) But um, so I've always had like a different tone of a voice, a little bit higher, and I've always moved a little bit softer. And so I do remember as a kid too, you know, like being in school and, you know, maybe someone had said something like, you know, maybe I was gay or 
um, are, you know, questioned if I was a girl or something like that, which I still get to this day. And I remember going, you know, or like are calling me out of my name or something like that. And I remember going home and my mom would say, she's like, you know, if they're not calling you your name, it's not you. You know what I mean? Like if they're not, if they're not saying who you are, it's not you. You know, it's something that they are dealing with. They are the ones who are um, confused, are, you know, are going through whatever they're going through. And so they have to put this hate out or whatever and blah, blah, blah. And so it's really something that I remember to this day. So it's funny because I, you know, I will be out and I will completely dress however I want to dress. I've never, you know, I know how to dress properly and I know how to dress for certain, you know, situations. Like if we were going to the White House, I would know exactly what to wear. (laughs) Or if we were going to the Met Gala, I would know exactly what to wear. But like if I'm going around the street, I'm I'm wearing whatever I want to wear. I mean... I mean, anywhere I'm going to wear whatever I want to wear, but I'm not going to, like, conform to, oh, because, oh, my God, where are you? I, where are you you're in Brooklyn or you're, you know, where are you downtown? You're uptown, whatever. And and there are times where I do hear people say stuff, but I'm not joking you. I just keep walking. They didn't say my name. They're not saying my name. I'm not turning around. I'm not giving them any kind of energy because I just don't have the time to sit there and try to get an ignorant person to understand who I am or what I am in one conversation. You know what I mean? It just doesn't work like that um, for me. And I have been around with, you know, some friends who, like, they might have heard something happen and it's this whole altercation, you know, they've got to let them know and blah, blah, blah. And for me, I would just be so exhausted if I had to stop every single time I might have heard something negative. And then to be honest, um... I actually hear more positive things than negative things. So if I just focus on those things, I wish I could pay the people that say good stuff. I mean, I would pay them all day long. But um, I do hear more positive things than negative. But um, I think you got to kind of choose, like, what battles you need to fight in those moments. You Mm -hmm. know, there are times where I do have to, like, you know, put my foot down and have a proper conversation. Um, but sometimes it's it's not my issue sometimes, you know, it's not it's not the right time for me to, to have to do that, you know. Mm. I love that. And I don't want to labor this point. I'm just thinking of, you know, I'm thinking more specifically of, you know, our gender nonconforming siblings. I mean, particularly in the UK where there seems mm-hmm. to be such a such a heightened transphobia and such a heightened violence against people who are daring to be themselves. Yeah. And indeed the language that we used to talk about our gender gender nonconforming siblings mm-hmm. just to use a category for yeah. people to imagine. Um you know, brave, courageous, um resilient, deserve protecting. And I, I feel like sometimes I feel sometimes I think that we put all of this energy Onto this, onto these beautiful ethereal human beings who are just being themselves, and we kind of front load all of the pressure onto them, mm-hmm. right? Like it's it's their job to survive in this world instead of our job to change the world in which these in which we're all living. Mm-hmm. And that's not really a question. It's just it's just where my head is at the yeah. moment. It's, it's something I can't stop thinking about. And so I guess I'm asking for those who are listening who 
and even those who aren't, you know, trying to smash the patriarchy or gender binary, but who just want to walk out of the house and w- be themselves. Yeah, and be comfortable. Because you said earlier that you look, that when you look deep within, you know you're going in the right direction. Yes. And so how, yeah. do, you, how do you know that? Or, or what's that process of looking inside look like? Well, I mean, I, I really do firmly believe that, um, you know, you can get a lot of counsel in so many different ways. You know, you can get it through religion. You can get it through spirituality. You can get it through um, friends, uh, therapists, lots of different ways. And, um, you know, and it's so important to have all these different things or whatever you need to, to get on track or to get where you need to go. Um but sometimes I really do believe that whenever I look really deep into myself, I have the answers. They're there. And I feel like a lot of us have the answers to a lot of our pains and anxieties and all of that stuff. It's just we allow other things to kind of take its course and direct us in different ways as opposed to really listening to what our hearts and our minds are really saying. I mean, like I've even if I just wrote them down right now, like things that I need to do or whatever I need to figure out or focus on to like be who I want to be today, I'm sure the answers will be in that that passage or whatever. And do you ever find those answers scary? I think it's scary all the time. Okay. I think it's so scary all the time. And I think that's what um, holds people back. I think that's what even holds me back sometimes is the actual, um, you know, it's scary to to go after your dreams or to, you know, push yourself to the next chapter or step. And one of my, I love doing mantras and I love using words and I love um, using affirmations and all these lovely things that keep me steady. Um, But one of even my mantras too, or one of the things I just always say to myself is that, um, you know, I literally, I'm learning how to be friends with my fears. You know, like really learning how to, um, like really just zoning in, like where is that pain coming from? Like why am I so afraid of it? Like actually talking to the fears, like where did that come from? Did it come from something that when I was younger that happened? Did it come from, you know, a past relationship? Did it come from a past failure? Or what was, like, what's the situation so we can figure it out? And so I can, so I can hold you, you know, I want to hold my fears. I want to be friendly with them and I want to get through it, you know, because usually I can say for me, usually whatever I'm fearing is something that I really have to go towards and I really have to conquer it and I really have to overcome it, you know. So the more that I'm gentle with the fear and like understanding how to get over that hump and really kind of dissect it and see like what's really happening, it makes it a little bit more smoother for me to to get over it and to face it and engaging the fear in that way with with friendship and mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. is sounds it already makes me feel better about encountering some of mine mm-hmm. right because i think particularly after everything that happened at gay times mm-hmm. i certainly felt like a rush there was so much fear mm-hmm. and anxiety mm-hmm. which can often be two distinct things but sometimes very much yeah. the same thing and I thought oh it'd be so much better just push push through this mm-hmm. like I know it because there was an assumption I knew what the fear was mm-hmm. and so okay I, I know what that fear is I know how to tackle it mm-hmm. 
but actually I haven't known what the fear has been until I've had a conversation with that fear Mm -hmm. and actually broken it down for what it actually is. And it turns out to be something rather different than I thought it was. Yeah. And I think it's such beautiful advice to, to be, to be friends with your fear. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's important. I think it's important. What are one of the, what, what's one of the mantras you use? So I'll just share two of mine with you. Okay. There's a bunch of them. Okay. So um, one of them is, I am spirit. I am faith. I am grace. I am strength. I am worthy. I am dark. I am light. I am kindness. I am forgiveness. I am balance. I am thankful. I am love. I'm grown through my fears and beyond closer to my highest spiritual potential. I am spirit, I'm spirit, I'm spirit. So that's one. Another one is I'm love. I'm surrounding myself with people and energy that provide me with the unconditional love that my soul needs. I am the unconditional love that my soul needs. I'm the love that the world needs. I'm enough. I am love, I am love, I am love. So that's two of them. But they go, there's like tons of them, tons, tons, tons. But I have to, I literally have to tell myself these things every single day. Like I have to. It's just, I have to do it to survive. You know? Because it's so funny. I just feel like, I just feel like sometimes, I I really do, I, I have a real high, um, respect and love for spirituality. No matter how you need to get there, how you do it, I don't think it should be like judged or any certain way. Like you should do whatever you need to do to get there as long as you're not hurting yourself or hurting anyone. Um, and I like to think of my spirituality as like if I was stranded on a desert and I had no friends, I had no family, I had no uh you know, no walls or no, you know, books or whatever, scriptures or things, passages or whatever. What do I do? How do I keep myself grounded or how do I keep myself centered or feel at peace? And so that's that's where I feel like, you know, where a lot of these things come and like these words come and these these visions of mantras and you know, and me sitting down meditating and, you know, getting myself centered as opposed to having to have a certain book or a certain, um, I don't know, certain whatever. It's just, I feel like if you cannot sit down and have peace with yourself alone, uh, it's a scary thing if you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a really scary place if you can't do that. Um yeah. And the inability to, to do that, to encounter that peace might be because in that peace people are sitting down and, and those fears come up. Yeah. Right? Totally. And we haven't yet brought them in as friends. No. And held them. And holding their hands. Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to keep them outside. Some of mine have hairy hands, too. <laughs> I don't mind, but gotta clip the nails. But... <laughs> Well, it's the truth. 
<laughs> so I wrote a question earlier mm -hmm. um, in preparation for this conversation that I'm not actually sure makes sense, mm -hmm. but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yes. So it seems to me that you see the world through a beautiful lens, and I wonder if you think that you draw out an inherent beauty in the world, or if you think you add beauty to a world. And then I stopped there because I was like, I don't know if this makes any sense, or if those both result in the same thing. But I'm curious about this beauty because I think there's always a search for beauty. I think we're always drawn to it. But I think that beauty is so terribly subjective, even though we all know what it is when we see it. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's myriad forms. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I'm curious why, why creating beautiful things. And when I say things, I mean that expansively. Mm -hmm. So things as in beautiful lives, but also mm -hmm. beautiful items, handbags, jewelries, mm -hmm. trinkets. Mm -hmm. um, how do you encounter beauty or what or where do you find it does that make sense i mean it makes a little bit of sense i guess <laughs> <laughs> no i i know where you're going but it's um because i think i'm asking because i'm trying to see more beautiful things in the world yeah and trying to draw them out yes. right and i think we draw out beauty in these conversations totally. right that you know people open themselves up and they go to places they might not typically go totally. or feel comfortable or safe enough to go. I think in looking at your designs at Lion Babe, at how you dress yourself, mm -hmm. how you dress others, you're, you are making more beautiful the things that are already moving through the world. And for those of us who are trying to encounter more beauty in that way or else create more beautiful things, I'm just wondering how you've, how you've tuned into that or... Well, I mean, it's well. First, it's you such just, a nebulous question. Well, first, you gotta buy my designs yeah. so you can feel beautiful, um, all right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's you know, honestly, it's really just a balance. That's all it is. It's really just a balance because it's, you know, it's, you know, you you have to. I feel like. You know, you have to you have to feel beauty for sure. Like, I feel like you have to feel it in some way. Like, you have to feel... I think it's important for you to feel something beautiful about yourself. You know, like, even even when I'm, you know, talking with different clients and different people and um, helping them figure out, you know, how to curate their bodies and how to dress them or how to um, make something for them, I always, I always want to know what they love about themselves first. You know, like, what do you like? Is it your legs? Is it your arms? You know, what can we highlight? You know, also, too, I might share what I think as well, too. But I really want to know really what, what they want and what they how they feel. And also, too, yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I really do see a lot of beautiful things everywhere. And... Um, they're almost kind of like mirrors also as well too you know to be able to be able to see the beauty and to be able to um, I don't know it's even if you don't even if you don't feel beautiful you can see beautiful things and you can attract those things I don't know it's a tough question but I will say it's definitely a balance you know yeah it's probably me trying to codify something that is <laughs> doesn't need <laughs> doesn't need <laughs> I'm gonna eat the mic <laughs> <laughs> you're like damn Josh just let it be beautiful <laughs> oh god 
<laughs> it's a balance. <laughs> so where are you now, Jeffrey? And I leave that quite broad. Where am I now? I am at a space where I really enjoy the things that I'm doing creatively. Um, and I love the company that I, you know, have around me, whether it's uh, work, our friends, the family. Um, I'm in a very happy place right now. And I feel like I'm in a space where there's this next major chapter of my life that is unfolding in the now. I don't know exactly what it is. I can I could pull into my, uh, you know, a deeper self and kind of, you know, put those more broadly out and stuff like that, more bold. But I really feel like I'm going in the right direction. I really feel... Uh, I don't know. I really feel this support around me, but I feel like it's even bigger than what I can even imagine. And so there's parts of it too that are scary and there's parts of it that are exciting and there's parts of it that I'm still figuring out. But um, I don't know. I've always been this way where I, where I can kind of feel the next kind of thing itching or happening. Mm -hmm. And I really do feel like that's happening now. And it, it's definitely, it's definitely with um, design. It's definitely with my creativity and exploring that and um, even making it even more expansive and, you know, just really getting out there even more in a healthy way, you know? And how do you coax it out? How do you have that when things feel so big and scary? Because I'm, I'm at that place now. Mm -hmm. where I feel mm, fenced in. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I'm using that phrase fenced in, but I actually think I'm, I'm pushing out yeah. versus being kept within. And well, so I'm very curious about how you kind of... Uh, well, for me, if I, can, if I can put words to it, it's really like, um, you know those things that you are always like, oh, I have to do this, I have to do that, I... You know, how we were talking about the fears as well, too. It might be a fear. It might be a goal. It might be whatever. And you haven't really did it yet. You haven't really made that phone call or you haven't really um, sent that email or you really haven't, um, you know, did that sketch or wrote that out or whatever. Um, I'm at a point where I'm actually doing those things. So... Um, it's not that I'm not scared. I'm completely frightened. I'm like, you know, sending the messages and I'm completely shaken in my boots. Um, but yeah, but I'm in that space where I am really like, I'm hugging these fears really hard right now. <laughs> like we might be doing a little dance or we might be wrestling. I'm not sure, but we're in it together. I'm in bed with them for sure. So um that always gives me the space to know that I'm I'm pushing towards the next uh, chapter of my life and the next chapter of pushing through and getting to the next level. Um, yeah. Well, you know that to close, I ask all of my guests the same question. Mm -hmm. What do you hope for? You look so prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not. But, um, you know, the things that I hope for is that... Um, me being my most authentic self is always enough to inspire other people, 
and to consistently inspire myself, you know, in return, you know. So that's what I hope for. Jeffrey, thank you so much for sharing this space with me and for being such a wonderful beacon of beauty and light in this world, but also in my life. I'm really grateful for you. I'm very grateful for you. Thanks so much for having me. And I just want to let you know that I'm very proud of you. Mm-hmm. Like very, very, very proud of you. And I think that what you're doing is very important. And I think it's um, very brave and it's very needed. And that even more than you can imagine, you're touching very, like just, you're touching tons of people. And I think, um, I think you got gold, good gold. So keep digging, keep doing it. (laughs) I keep on digging. Seriously, keep doing it. (laughs) Next thing you know, we're going to be drinking busy, being black cappuccinos (laughs) on the beach, busy being black. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) Everybody's going to be busy being black, you know? On a yacht. On a yacht. Jeffrey Williams is a designer, stylist, and creative director. Follow Jeffrey on Instagram to be dazzled and enchanted. Links to Jeffrey's handles and work are in the show notes. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. Remember this, your support doesn't cost any money. Retweets, shares, ratings, and reviews all help, so please keep the support coming. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy-nominated producer based in New York City for these bomb-ass Busy Being Black beats. Ashe. Festivities begin with a third of our wonderful range of artificial trees and Christmas lights. Homebase feels good to be home. Terms at homebase.co.uk. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.